0: invite you this morning to turn with me, if you would, to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3 is where we are this morning. If you're here visiting with us again, welcome. We have been studying for the past several weeks uh, the churches uh, of the book of Revelation, these seven churches. We've looked already at four of them. We have two to go because the seventh one we've already covered uh, in recent years. And so we're going to look at two more. You'll remember those of you who were here uh, the last few weeks, you remember that Ephesus, the church there, had lost its love, its first love. You'll remember that Smyrna was staring persecution in the face, and that Pergamum and Thyatira needed to deal with false teaching in their midst. We now come this morning to the church in Sardis. Remember, we're making geographically, we're making a loop through what is modern-day Turkey and the western coast. We began in the southwest portion of modern-day Turkey, moved north, and now we are working our way southeast through the inland valleys of Asia Minor. Sardis was 30 miles southeast of Thyatira, was situated on a high and narrow strip of land, that's important to know. That's geography that's crucial. Uh, so just bank that for now. And you'll notice as we read this in just a moment, as I read this in just a moment, that the church in Sardis doesn't receive any commendation. The other churches are addressed with some encouragement about what they're doing well. Sardis doesn't receive any words of commendation. They don't need any words of flattery because they've heard plenty already. And that's part of the problem with Sardis. And I hope to explain what I mean by that. Jesus wants to point out to this church, and by extension to this church, Ascension Presbyterian, something deeper. wants to warn them and us of an issue much more deadly and much more subtle than the churches that we've looked at so far have been dealing with. And so, follow along and listen with me. I invite you to stand, if you are willing and able, out of honor of God's Word, stand for the reading of His Word, Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Listen as I read. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy." The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Let's give Him glory. Amen. Go to be seated. What's in a name? It's a phrase that we hear from time to time, maybe a phrase that we have used from time to time. It's a quote, actually, from a Shakespearean play, one of his most famous plays, Romeo and Juliet, and it's Juliet's attempt to make the point that just because Romeo is from the family that her family loathes, the name that identifies himself as such is not who he is. And so she says, what's in a name? So we come to the church in Sardis. This is a church about names. Names were more significant in the ancient world, certainly in all of the times that encompass the writing of Scripture, than they are to us here today. But we see the prominence of name here in this passage, in this message to the church in Sardis. After all, they're introduced by name to the church in Sardis. Their name is what precedes them. Our translation calls it a reputation, but it's the same thing. I've heard about you. I know your name. I know your reputation. And yet in the church, there are a few individual names that Jesus himself knows. And these names will be written down in the book of life, and these names will be confessed before the Father. Names. What's in a name? I want to use that to work from this morning with just two things to meditate on from this passage, two things I think it teaches us, and the first is this. Jesus wants more than a good name. Jesus wants more from us and from you than a good name. Let me explain what I mean by that. I suppose it's in part due to our own Seattle uh, Amazon.com that in our world, in so many of the decisions that we make these days, we are directed by reviews. Right? It's the Amazon effect. And it's even true for churches. And so the other day I went on Yelp one of those classic review sites, to peruse some of the area churches. See what I could find based upon reviews. none of these are from ours. These are from other churches which will go unnamed. Great people, good programs, teaches the Word of God, this reviewer says. Another reviewer, different church, they have dozens of classes and programs for all ages, a food bank, a prison ministry, among dozens of other things. Another reviewer says, Pastor Blank is great. His messages are entertaining and engaging, and their choir is one of the best around. And then speaking of choirs, this last review, the choir's repertoire is a great gospel style that sounds amazing, even though they are all really white. I suppose you can learn something about these churches from these comments, but we all got to admit that you can't know what really matters about these churches from just these statements. Looks can be deceiving. Reviews can only reveal so much. And the church in Sardis illustrates this. Because if Sardis were a church in Seattle listed on Yelp today, you might read something like this. This church is awesome. I attended their inaugural 2 p.m. service yesterday, which was added because the 8, 10, and the 12 services were to capacity, and the place was rocking. What a great band. They sound just like Coldplay. Their brochure of ministries was eight pages long, and they have something for everyone. Even the city leadership recognizes the good stuff going on here because the mayor of Sardis actually spoke in the service. And he spoke about the need for social justice. So cool. You deaf should check them out. See, Jesus tells the church in Sardis, and he tells us to here hear today, I, I see what you're doing. I see all the busyness that you're about. I see the name that you're making for yourself. But I know what's really going on. And what's really going on is nothing. You're dead. You're dead. Sardis is the first church that we've studied where there's no commendation. I've already stated that. But Sardis is also the first church where there is no mention of persecution. Now, all these churches were existing in the same region at the same time. Why do you think Sardis isn't being persecuted? Well, it doesn't say specifically in our text, but I suspect it's due to the fact that they aren't offending anyone. They blend in. There's nothing in Sardis to warrant them as being labeled outsiders to the culture and to the cultural agenda. They've made a name for themselves. They are doing a lot of stuff. A lot of good stuff, but their condition is worse than Ephesus. These folks are dead, dead on the inside, whitewashed tombs, as Jesus has labeled others. And this is the problem. Jesus wants more than a good name. Being the church is not necessarily about doing good stuff. And again, I'm not saying that doing stuff is bad. It's essential. Faith without works, James says, is dead. But the way that we do our stuff and the heart in which we are doing our stuff matters to God. And yet it's so easy to get caught up in reputation. It's so easy to get caught up in appearance. And so what might a name look like for us in our modern day. Maybe it's, maybe it's the number game, the swelling numbers. If we're growing, we must be on the right track, right? Maybe it's programs, if we just have more things to offer. Maybe it's influence, getting invited to serve on the city's religious council. Maybe it's political involvement. I don't even know if they do this anymore, but I've never been to it, invited to pray at any civic ceremonies or civic events maybe it's community accolades if we only could get on the front page of the Edmunds beacon hear me these things are not bad it's just that they aren't an automatic indicator of God's approval Activity, acceptance, worldly success do not necessarily equal God-honoring fruit, God's approval, and God's growth. The point is, Jesus wants more than a good name. And so how ought this to land in our hearts, this message to Sardis about their name, about their reputation? Well, I don't think... As your pastor, I don't think that Ascension Presbyterian Church is particularly struggling with this, but I think it at least is a reminder for us, it's in God's Word, it's preserved for us, we're studying it, it's a reminder for us to examine ourselves and ask, why are we doing the things that we are doing? Are we doing them driven by duty or out of a desire to look good, or is it that the gospel is overflowing from our lives? and we need to give it some kind of an outlet. And as this word trickles down to us individually, think about Jesus' words to the Pharisees. Think about the Lord's words to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, do not look on His Do not look on his appearance, the Lord says, or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Maybe you're here this morning, you're trying to hide behind busyness. You're trying to hide behind a show of stability in your lives, or maybe you're trying to win God's approval through all of your busyness, through all of your activity. And yet, inwardly, you're an absolute mess, and God says, I see you, I know you, and I'm not interested in a good name. I'm interested in your heart, and so wake up. And that leads us to the second truth for this morning. In regards to name, it's simply that Jesus is calling your name. (laughs) Jesus is calling your name this morning. It's time to wake up. It's a phrase you hear a lot in my house, a house full of teenagers. Get up. Sardis, wake up. See, Sardis is in a spiritual coma. They need revival because they had fallen asleep. And in this, they had mirrored the city itself. You see, Sardis was, as I said at the very beginning, Sardis was this well-fortified ancient city surrounded, surrounded on three sides by these, what were thought to be unscalable cliffs But infamously, not once, but twice, the watchmen of the city, those who were supposed to stand guard in vigilance at approaching enemies, thinking that they were safe from those three sides, didn't guard them. So, first, the Persian army found a way up the cliffs into the city, opened the gate. Let the city be sacked. Let the city be plundered. See, Sardis was infamous in the ancient world for not just once but twice being lulled to sleep and safety and ultimately death when they needed to remain vigilant. And so these words that Jesus speaks to Sardis, the church there, are particularly pointed. Wake up. The details of what happened in the church in Sardis are not revealed, but we know something happened. Something happened to bring them to the point of death. They're dead. They're not really, really dead, but they're dead. And if they don't wake up, the judgment of Jesus is going to come against them. Paul exhorted the church at Rome in the same way in Romans chapter 13, besides this, you know the time That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And so what does waking up look like? If Sardis needs to wake up, if Ascension needs to wake up in some way, if you personally need to wake up in some way, what does it look like? Well, here's what the Scriptures say. Wake up. By repenting of spiritual laziness, rooting yourself in the gospel of grace, and living a life of spiritual vigilance. Now, this certainly a pride to, to Sardis uniquely, it applies to Ascension uniquely, but it also applies to each of us individually. Let me explain. Repent of spiritual laziness, verse 3. Whatever their issues were, whatever our issues are, drift of doctrine, duty-driven activity, compromise in actions, lack of discipline in spiritual pursuits, Jesus is calling them, he's calling us to examine our hearts, to search our hearts, to invite God's Spirit to search our hearts, and then to repent, to turn from it. And he knows that you can't do this alone. He's introduced himself in this letter, in this message. He's already introduced himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God. Numbers in Revelation are highly symbolic. And so when the, the Lord Jesus says he has the seven spirits of God, what he's talking about is that, that number seven being fullness. He has the fullness of the Spirit. And he's ready to pour it out on his church to bring about revival, to bring about repentance of spiritual laziness. Yes, we confess, only He, only you, Holy Spirit, can revive dead hearts. Only you can fan the flame of renewal. So come, Holy Spirit, and do that. Revive our hearts that we might fight the natural tendency of churches, of individuals, to spiritual entropy. Repent of spiritual laziness. That's what waking up looks like, first of all. Then from there, we need to root ourselves in the gospel of grace. Now you've heard me talk about this again and again. Verse three: remember what you have received and heard. Keep it. What did they heard? They had heard the gospel, they had heard its implications for their lives. Maybe they had left the gospel behind to pursue more important issues, more important cultural matters, more important issues of the day. But what we know from Romans chapter 10 is faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ and yet how easily the church abandons what we are given. Listen to this perspective It's a quote from one author I was reading this week. He says, Consider the trajectory, and I know many of you have lived this. Consider the trajectory of Protestant liberal churches. Though they originated with a strong gospel foundation, today they are known only for their clothes, closets, food pantries, and hospitals. Their mission trips entail building homes and church buildings, but not the church of Jesus Christ through gospel proclamation. Keeping the gospel does not happen naturally. We must be vigilant. We must remain awake. Pastors must preach this gospel faithfully and regularly each Sunday. This gospel must be faithfully received by the church and reverberate through their homes and throughout the life of the church. That's not to say that building church buildings, that food pantries are bad. They're not. But they must be rooted in the gospel of grace. Remember what you've received and keep it. We never outgrow the gospel. That's part of waking up. And then the last, living a life of spiritual vigilance. Not just wake up, but stay awake. Don't fall right back asleep. You got to stay awake. Most of you know that we have five children, so five seasons of our lives, of Anna and my lives. Bags were packed, plans for kid care had been arranged, the route to the hospital was well thought through, particularly if traffic got in the way, and every day we woke up thinking, could today be the day? If we go to this event Can we get back in time? Will there be enough time to pull things together? We lived our lives in vigilance, in expectation, in this case of God's gift of a child to our family. And that that, it seems to me that season, it's it's a taste, just a taste of what the focus of our lives is intended to be. We've been talking about this in Discipleship Hour. I've been harping on this word, the word awareness. Awareness of spiritual realities, awareness of the spiritual enemy that we fight and his schemes. The reality that there is more to life than just what we see. And therefore, we need to be vigilant. The writer of the Hebrews says, You need to fix your eyes on Jesus Watch and pray Jesus told the disciples that you might not fall into temptation. Luke 12 Jesus says, stay dressed for action, keep your lamps burning. Like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he knocks. And so waking up and staying awake looks like spiritual intentionality. Every day, in some way, it it changes the rhythm of lives, of our lives. But this is what those who walk with Him, verse 4, and those who will conquer, verse 5, have learned to do. And God gives the power, He holds the seven spirits, the fullness of the Spirit to work in you, and, and He gives us one another. I mean, spiritual life, spiritual vitality is contagious. And some of you in here are more alive than others. And in some ways, you're like the few names in Sardis That God says, I know you. I know what you're doing. And and that church needs you. They need your life. I know you by name. Learn from them. Let them be the seed for something powerful. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is calling you by name this morning. And he's pleading with you, wake up. Stay awake lest His judgment fall on you. He knows your works. He knows your heart. He knows you by name. And He knows the names that are in the book of life and He knows the names that are going to be excluded from that book. He knows the names that will be confessed before His Father. And so He calls, repent. Repent and wake up. Jesus will call your name. He will call your name soon, and he will either invite you to enter your rest, or he will declare that he doesn't know you. Well, he knows your name, but he doesn't know you. What's in a name? Well, in one sense, nothing and everything. <laughs> Nothing in the sense that Jesus wants more than just a name. He wants more than an outward show, no matter how good your outward show is. But in another sense, what's in a name? Everything. Jesus knows your name. He's calling your name. And he's calling you to confess his name and to live in that name. Brothers and sisters, hear and heed His voice today, that we might welcome Him on that day coming soon. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You for the church at Sardis. We thank You for the few who were found worthy, worthy to build around, worthy to bring revival and life back into that congregation Father, I pray for us as a church that we would be a church that fights spiritual entropy. That we would be a church of of life and vitality as we repent of our own spiritual laziness, as we repent of motives that though the world can't see them, the world's impressed motives that you know you're not impressed father we need your spirit we need your grace to revive our hearts again and so we plead for it show yourself to us we pray in Jesus name amen